0: You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number nine.
1: Champions, arrive!
0: Welcome to the Champions Countdown podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode nine, I'm Will, and with me is a lady who came running out of a smoking bank vault, holding two bags of money with dollar signs on them, it's Rebecca!
2: One of them's for me to buy dresses with.
0: <laughs>
2: That's the only reason I could think of robbing something for, I don't know what that says. So, Hi, hello, hi.
0: Have you hired anyone to do any dirty work? Have you been uh, hired to do any dirty work?
2: <laughs> See, th- this is boring, but it's true. I am going to hire a mix engineer really soon for my album that's dropping. Mm-hmm. That's boring. Though. Nobody wants to hear about that. Nobody wants to hear about your album is dropping.
0: Well, we were trying to decide if we wanted to hire somebody to handle the yellow jacket situation in the backyard, but decided that we were just going to give the backyard to the yellow jackets for the rest of the summer. They can
2: have it. Because
0: it's just too hard. We tried some stuff. It didn't work.
2: I, You know, I feel a little bit of guilt anyway about killing pollinators because I just, I don't want to. But then yellow jackets, on the other hand, are absolutely... <coughs> and therefore, you know, they got what's coming to them. Well,
0: they really are <laughs> because they're not like a bee where they sting you but make a great sacrifice. Yellow jackets, I learned this because... I got stung while I was mowing, but when they bite you, they don't let go.
1: Because
0: when I got bit, I was like, oh, crap, I bet I just got stung by something. I'll wait for it to pass, but it didn't pass. He just and, kept going. Yeah, it took me about four seconds to realize, oh, I'm going to have to intervene with myself. Yeah. And I had to reach down and pull him off of my ankle. That's, that's horrible. Cause, that's because his jaws are there. I wish I would have remembered this in our bug episode, but Is I'm that glad I got jaws? to share it now. Is yeah, it's their jaws. It's their
2: jaws. It's not their stinger and in their, in their butt? No, they
0: just bite.
2: That's gross. That's
0: very aggressive It is.
2: It is. You know what? One time when I was like nine years old, I was standing in line peacefully for the Ferris wheel. There's
0: something rusty. Oh, yeah, Ferris wheel. At the Tennessee
2: Valley Fair near some garbage cans, I'm sure. And I was just standing there with my hands clasped over the other, just minding my business, minding my own beeswax, as it were. (laughs) And what do I feel? Pain on my hand. And I look down and it's a yellow jacket. So honestly, they honestly screw those guys. Agree. Agree. Except for the ones in our backyard. We're just going to let them run wild and free until winter. Till the
0: winter, which is which is ours. Well, Rebecca, what are we really talking about today?
2: On today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the henchman archetype. I have four. Will has four. It's a top eight. With a bonus pick by everyone's best bud socially distant scott
0: we will all look forward to that let's pin down a definition for henchmen because this is one of those that's sort of a general topic so we're gonna we're gonna talk about how we approached it
2: okay yeah i was gonna say it's also got some nebulous early history which i'm gonna tell you about all right it's old okay the term is old from like 1360 is when the Oxford English Dictionary is first mentioning a henchman. Okay. okay? Now, get this. That, that dude, those dudes, were like a squire or a page. And they would follow along the noble or the royal... Um, usually on horseback, uh-huh. and that's, so it was like horseman because the old English word is hengist, horse. Oh, okay. okay. So, like, that's who it was originally, right? It's kind of like the hype guys, the hype boys for the for the noble or, like, the men in waiting or whatever it were. All right, so that's old. We didn't use it for a long time. I say we like I was there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was. Um, we didn't use it for a long time until Sir Walter Scott revived the word in the late 1700s to mean like the personal attendant of a Scottish Highland officer okay. guy. All right. Okay. So we're just like a loyal dude. Who's like your right hand man or like a man at arms for, uh-huh. for a man in power. And here's a little fun fact. The tradition of having a cute nickname for a henchman goes all the way back to 1360 oh, funny. Okay. because in the Oxford English Dictionary in 1360, the the first henchmen they described, their names were Mustard and Garlic.
0: Oh, that's cute. Isn't that cute? Yeah. yeah. Now. So, so how did, yeah, how did, they, how did it get a negative connotation to, be, to be, mean like a lackey?
2: This is fun. And there's a lively Wikipedia discussion going on about it. We don't really know is kind of the fun is kind of the fun part about it. Sir Walter Scott didn't mean it in a negative connotation in the late 1700s, uh-huh. right? But we've always had like in stories villains with their right hand person. Uh huh. Gradually, we started calling those henchmen, and I think it's because uh, the it just sort of warped in popular l- usage, and this will figure into our definition. Okay. Because it's like someone who is so supremely loyal to their leader mm-hmm. that they'll do anything. Uh-huh. Anything, Wah-ha-ha-ha. And so like the, the, the term sort of in popular usage gets like twisted because it's a sycophant, you yeah. know what I mean? And like, even if they're a good guy, they get sort of weaselly and then certainly you're, you're turn, turning the corner from like weaselly to evil. Mm-hmm. And I think it just kind of happened.
0: Uh, can I talk about the modern way we use? Yeah, we use the well, term?
2: let's 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 just talk because I couldn't think of any good like case usages from literature necessarily. Yeah, I,
0: yeah, same. But it's weird because I think we do have a common understanding of it. Um, I, I think probably the easiest way to think about it is I think about it as uh, somebody's lieutenants, right? It's like your your number twos, like the people in charge of all your foot soldiers, kind of. Yeah. And I think also, I think we were talking about this a little bit as we were working on this. Uh, It seems to have been a really popular concept in the 80s and 90s, especially, like uh, a lot of cartoons uh, did
2: this. (laughs) Which is also just our excuse for always having pics that... Feature prominently <laughs> from the 80s and 90s. And, it's but, Okay,
0: and, and, and but to be uh, fair to us, you know, th- there will be eras where there is sort of a formula to how people make cartoons, and it was really popular during that time uh, for the villains to have uh, their their little lieutenants for either for toy reasons or it just works well with um, a story. Um, They're sort of like the mini bosses in video games. Well,
2: yeah, because you you got to draw out that drama a little bit longer. You can't just face against you know face up against your arch villain right at once. You got to kind of lead up to it. You got to get his underlings and then after that, and go for him.
0: Uh, And that that's a good segue to the other thing I was going to bring up was that for our definition, I think we want to make a distinction between. A henchman and uh minions so i think we we j- use the word henchmen generally sometimes to refer to uh all kinds of uh foot soldier type people like when you think about the 60s adam west batman and all the uh guys that had the uh matching t-shirts and everything you would call them henchmen but i think those are more minions we're talking about people with names not nameless uh Yeah, I I would
2: say a minion is nameless, but a a henchman is is named, although a very important distinction is they're named, but I don't think they have designs on being the head guy in charge. You know what I mean? Their loyalty to the boss, I think, is pretty much a big part of their identity.
0: yeah, and, and, well, that's good you brought that up because uh, I have a pick that sort of straddles the line there. I feel like you may be growing out of your role as a henchman if, if that's an issue. If you start issue. having designs. If, if you are a high-quality henchman at the top of his game or her game, then yes, I, I think you have to be happy with your station.
2: If you have designs on, especially toppling your boss, we're not talking about you get promoted mm-hmm. out to a better casino you know, <laughs> uh-huh.
0: you find a better job. For-
2: yeah, like, but if you have designs on toppling your boss, there's you're a not re- a good henchman. Yeah, there's a
0: reason you like to be a support guy and you don't want to be the head guy. And I'm sure our picks will get into people's different motivations for wanting to be a henchman.
2: Yeah, yeah. My final sort of component to the definition is there's always an element of power corrupting someone, and the henchman is feeding into that. Whole scenario uh-huh. by always like hyping up their boss. They're doing their boss's dirty work, uh-huh. and they're by default making their boss an important figurehead and allowing them to grow more powerful. I guess mm-hmm. through their loyalty. That's just kind of a weird way. to yeah, say it, Yeah, but, yeah, I like that. Okay, okay. I, I feel I feel like we gotta we gotta.
0: I do too. I do too. This is, a, this is a surprisingly interesting one. I think. So so why don't you start us off with your first pick? Number eight. We're going to work on the uh, China outreach presentation for Sunday. Those other fellows show up?
2: Yes. I told them to wait for you in the theater room. You're my number one. I know I am, baby. God, I have hitched my wagon to a force for good. Ain't I lucky, ladies? Lucky. Okay, yeah. None of
0: y'all come down to the theater room, all right? Secrets? No, no secrets. Surprises.
2: All right. My first pick is not nameless. They do have names. We just don't really care about them. Uh-huh. But this is this is my contemporary pick. I'm starting out with Jesse Gemstone's Goon Squad, The Righteous Gemstones. Oh, fun.
0: Okay. Da-da-da. They're from the HBO series.
2: Yes. So I, I'm sure this won't be the first HBO premium drama <laughs> <laughs> that shows up on the list. But whatever. I needed a contemporary pick, uh-huh. or, you know, because otherwise. That's a it's,
0: great example. Though. It's
2: 80s all the way down. If you have not watched The Righteous Gemstones on HBO, I'm not going to promise you that it's going to be your thing, but I will say it is an excellent, excellent show. Um, I think they call it a, a prestige drama, but it's a comedy. It's it's a yeah. very dark comedy that has elements of drama and action
0: it is it. a danny mcbride show but it's like the first time they handed him a major budget for a tv show yeah and they're using it <laughs> and, so, and
2: he's teamed up again with uh executive producer jody hill that he did vice principals uh-huh. with and funny enough jody hill the exef- executive producer he actually plays one of jesse's goons uh-huh. so he's he's the long-haired guy who's one of uh jesse gemstone's goons but if you haven't seen the show it is basically about uh, a corrupt televangelist family and uh the inciting incident in the first season is that the main son or like the biggest next in line for mm-hmm. the throne son uh played by danny mcbride is blackmailed with a tape of a naked drug hotel party <laughs> essentially And so um, his goon squad, they will resort to all kinds of dirty deeds to keep this tape from surfacing because they've got like a personal stake in it. They're all in it. So Uh his henchmen are completely buying in to whatever's being asked of them out of desperation. And this
0: is like the Sunday school fellowship group for his ministry.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. And these are these are guys who have legit jobs within the, within the church or yeah. within the business, you know, the church business. Your whole ministry
0: is set up to serve the
1: gemstones. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, I ain't.
2: If you are a Danny McBride fan or if you think his shtick is good at all, like, you've got to freaking watch this show. John Goodman's in it. Excellent. Walton Goggins, Excellent. Mm-hmm. Edie Patterson, excellent. Yeah. I mean everybody in it it's it's just it's stellar. It's really fun and even if the story gets stressful or gross or weird. I just enjoy everybody in it so much. Yeah, because
0: they're so absurd. And and the thing that makes all Danny McBride shows so good is that they really inflate their uh, role in the world. They act like what they're doing is going to be inscribed in history books. Everything they're doing, it's (laughs) it's hysterical.
2: Which is funny, which does make Jesse Gemstone a very funny character. character to have henchmen because he sort of inflated himself up yeah
0: well that's what you were talking about yeah they fit they feed into into him
2: yeah and and the fact that they they are loyal no questions asked but it's out of fear Mm -hmm. you know because they don't want to threaten what they have because they all have cushy jobs and wives and families and they don't want to you know threaten that so um it is it is hilarious because he is a he's a poor shepherd yeah yeah he's he's not a good shepherd he's not a leader he's not the man he fancies himself to be and that's why it's funny
1: Mm -hmm. number seven
2: Seven. he came out
0: of
1: somewhere this really is just too good to be true it's a nightmare but a ravishing one i know you've got something that you'd like to share with the whole world oh what a difference a day makes
0: we may never get through this pick or this episode (laughs) is going to be three hours long Uh it's from our favorite thing to talk about it's not transformers Uh my pick is rick rude from wwf (laughs) and wcw wrestling programs
2: being the henchman of whom
0: uh two factions actually uh I actually picked him because of one of his henchman acts that made a complete mess in, in this act, he was a turncoat and managed to touch all the controversies in wrestling with one act. And it was hysterical.
2: Can I just say that? Uh, I think if I had to pick a short list, uh, ravishing Rick rude is maybe my favorite wrestler of all time. I can, I I can see that. I I love the shtick. Love it.
0: Well, yeah. Okay, then. Well, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Rick Rude? I'm I'm going to tell you like part of his uh, coming to the ring ceremony, but like give people a general impression of Rick Rude. Why do you like him? So
2: he's a bad guy hunk, which is yeah. hysterical. Yeah. He's a heel, so you're not supposed to like him. But footage of every match that Rick Rude did in front of an audience when WWE back in the day, like in the 80s will show tons of women in the crowd (laughs) losing their minds because his thing is that he preens, which I love a good preen. I love a man who preens. It's hilarious. He preens... And he does seductive dances and muscle moves, and the women just love it, <laughs> which is funny. It's a good gag. And then, of course, his big shtick was he would wear leggings that he had custom printed, often with like the the photos of his opponent. Yeah. Like, so he, they'd have to like look, you know, look at your picture on his butt or whatever, <laughs> and just to taunt them.
0: Um. Yeah, th- that was part of he would he would do like always do like three things like. Like you said, when he came to the ring, he would remove his robe, and he'd insult all the males in the audience about how they were schlubby. Then he would have Bobby Heenan pick out a woman in the audience for him to smooch sometimes. (laughs) And then, like you said, he would airbrush his tights, and he started doing that with, like, um, there was a really popular storyline where he airbrushed Jake the Snake's real wife. Uh, face on his tights, and there was a long storyline about their feud because of that. Oh
2: my lord! And
0: uh, it was just a, it was just a great, a great thing. And he had a great name for his finishing move, the Rude Awakening. I always loved that.
2: And and then also just worth mentioning, uh, by all accounts, he was a stellar and stand up guy out of the ring. As uh-huh. you'll like a lot of the times the heels are like the real nice guys mm-hmm. because it takes, they don't
0: need the ego.
2: Exactly. It takes a real turd to want to be over with everybody. It takes a man who's confident with himself to be okay being a heel. Yeah, right? e-
0: everybody's kind of got their issues, but like I remember reading in Jericho's book who cares? I'm never gonna meet Goldberg. Goldberg <laughs> seemed to have this problem. <laughs> Goldberg seemed like a real jerk. Like, he needed to be the hero.
2: Yes. Yeah, Goldberg, we, like, if I don't win in nine seconds, I don't want to wrestle. Exactly, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, are you a child? Yes. And he's like, yes, I look like a big baby. Have you not <laughs> seen me? I don't have hair. I'm wearing a diaper. What do you want?
0: Okay, so here's why I picked Rick Rude R- 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 for a henchman. This is, the, this is what I was talking about. So, in the 90s, he was a tough for the two big factions during the heyday of wrestling. He was um, a henchman for Degeneration X in WWE and for NWO in WCW. These were like the ersatz anti-establishment factions that like hated management and corporations and stuff. So this was during the height of the Monday night uh, TV wars when, those, uh, when WCW and WWF were competing for ratings. So this was, this was already really fraught, and there was a lot of politics in real life and controversy about wrestlers defecting from one to the other. And they were working on a contract over in WWF with Rick Rude, and they thought they had settled it. But what he did was he appeared in one night on both programs without (laughs) WWF knowing. He agreed to be in a taped Monday Night Raw, but then he appeared live on WCW. And he did this because he was mad about, one of the most controversial things that happened in wrestling, the Montreal screw job. And I won't explain the whole thing, but basically, there's a really <laughs> popular wrestler that everybody liked named Bret Hart. He was supposed to pass his belt on instead of losing a match in his hometown and instead vince mcmahon who was in charge of wwf said that uh he told the referee just to call the match like brett submitted when he didn't and all the wrestlers hated it and so rick rude to get revenge defected to wcw and so he became part of the nwo over in uh <laughs> wcw and when you were in high school this was a big deal you had to be a a, a DX, Degeneration X guy, or an NWO guy. And so he touched on that controversy too. Now now, Rick Rude was NWO.
2: <laughs> Never the twain shall meet.
0: It was, he, he managed to, to touch every lightning rod in wrestling at the same time by choosing to be a henchman for the, uh, for the other team. Big deal.
2: Yeah, so this was like real. This is like real life villainry, yes. except for not really. Except it's not really villainry. It's yeah. more. It's more mischief. He had his than own anything.
0: henchman code that he had to that he had to follow. He could no longer. He could no longer uh, be a henchman for DX. That's right. So he was a terrific personality, uh, very much muscle for another group and part of some really important stories. So I think he's a really important henchman. Dick.
2: <laughs> I just love. Him. Number six. They're not here. Yeah, we lied. Here's the truth. We're totally going to kill you now. (laughs) No way! Yes way, Ted. We're fully programmed to do it. Yeah, and we want to do it too. (laughs) Okay, well, you're on a roll with the 90s, and thus I roll on into my number six pick, which is Evil Bill and Evil Ted from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, 1991. Excellent! which is an 80s pick that happened in the 90s because 1991 was still the 80s we we know this
0: we hadn't figured out what the 90s were yet
2: yeah we were working on it but it, it wouldn't come into its own until smells like teen spirit hit so i didn't just pick this because bill and ted face the music just came out even though of course it's it's been on my heart especially since we just watched it and Found it very charming. Very charming and very fun. Although, don't think I didn't notice y'all casting 40-year-old actresses to play 50-year-old women. Bill and Ted's face the music. Because you did. Mm. But anyway, that aside. Did find it very, very charming. And of course, it hits all the nostalgia b- buttons that you want it to. But I'd like to paint a picture for you about why people our age are, like, crazy about Bill and Ted. I can't even tell you why it was such a huge part of the zeitgeist, but I know that when I was a kid, me and my sister loved Mm -hmm. Bill and Ted. I mean, we just loved everything about it. We loved their dynamic. Somewhere there exists a – did you used to make – pretend radio stations when you were growing up. Like make recordings of yourself. Yeah, we were talking on the radio record
0: things, not necessarily a radio station, but yeah, we would we would do that. I mean, I
2: guess our dad was a radio station announcer, so Uh, I guess it makes sense why we why we did it. He worked at a small AM station. He was on air personality. Which actually makes podcasting feel very like you know, makes me feel very close to him in a way. But anyway, no, like we had a pretend radio station called WXXXX that we recorded on a cassette recorder. Um, And that's also too many call letters. I know it was, (laughs) but that was part of the joke. Okay. It was funny. It was my sister and I, we had recurring segments that were like ripped off from stuff that we liked. Um, We had uh, an on-air personality called Capri Estefan. That was, uh, that was uh, our hip announcer lady. (laughs) And I remember the summer that Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out. We did a whole episode where we were like, Previewing and hyping up the movie because we were so hyped for Mm -hmm. Bill and Ted, too. Like, we were so excited about it. And there's definitely somewhere, which I think my sister has it, but there's a cassette of. Me playing the interviewer and her playing, I believe, Keanu Reeves being interviewed about Bill and Ted, too. So I just say all that to say this is an important franchise in my life. Okay, like we loved it. We loved how California they were. It was very much the Calabunga lifestyle. I don't know what to tell you, except I still love it and think very fondly on those films.
0: We, I remember we liked the guitar stuff a lot in our house uh, my dad loved uh, George Carlin uh, and the whole future culture and uh, they would do the uh, guitar pick uh, salute to each other and everything There was there was a there was a they did a lot of great world building in that movie
2: they really did they really did there was a lot of charming things in that in those films. Um, although I'd say most of us probably don't remember the second one as much as the first one. Of course, I think people do remember them playing board games with death, William Sadler. You have sunk my better ship. Excellent! But the, plot, the, the main antagonist of this film was uh, Chuck DeNomolos who was a disgruntled fascist former gym teacher from the 27th century who hated the utopian cowabunga lifestyle that Bill and Ted brought upon the world in the first film. And he sent his henchmen out, and his henchmen were a pair of robotic clones of Bill and Ted that Bill and Ted referred to as the the evil robot usses. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that uh, I think the robots themselves refer to as Evil Bill and Evil Dead. And um, so first of all, I love robotic henchmen. You've yeah, got yeah, to, yeah. right? They're going to behave unquestioningly, usually, unless they have an existential crisis, which can happen. But um, you, you love them for that reason. You love them because, um, you know, is there anything more menacing than a clone of yourself? They know what you're going to do before you do it. Friends, friends, friends.
1: These are automatons. Replicas only. Furnished with my agenda.
2: And uh, of course, it's just funny and silly. And for years, even in the oddies, I know my sister and I used to call each other Evil Bill and Evil Ted. Like, I, I made a birthday cake for her <laughs> one year, calling her Evil Ted. Happy birthday, Evil Ted. But it's, it's really just a personal pick. I just I love the evil robot Bill and Ted.
1: Excellent. Who's
2: that? He's the son of Poseidon, who's that? He's going to fly. and who's that? He's sitting in a kiddie pool in your yard. Give him a beer, it's Scott. Scott's pick. You're like, no. So
1: like me to Rebecca and Will, I am their henchman.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? We don't send you out to do evil things.
1: Oh, I mean, sometimes a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> <laughs> Evil. I don't know. It, what's your definition of evil? Yeah. I guess. And that's why you're such a good henchman.
0: You make us yeah. feel better about about the evil you have done on our behalf. Uh, yeah. Uh,
2: like, don't ask any questions. We need you to kill a dude. Yeah. You're like, done. I'm gonna swing by Lowe's. <laughs> kill a dude.
0: I'm at Kroger. Also, what do you need? <laughs> I,
2: I Yeah. Got I
1: got done like, earlier than I thought. Cottage I cheese. Got you some need some cloth. cottage cheese. I bought you <laughs> some cottage cheese. Why'd you buy cottage cheese? Lactose. <laughs> I can't just pick one of them. I have to pick a top three of okay. the James Bonds. Uh huh. So, in order, I would say Jaws. Uh huh. And we could talk about these afterwards. I'll yeah, say, yeah. I'll I'll say I'm, I'm just letting them soak in. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, this is the Henchman lineup. We got Jaws, Odd Job. Uh huh. And Knick Knack. You remind me of Knick Knack. I don't remember Knick Knack. So, Knick Knack was the man with the golden gun. Okay. And he ran the island that the man with the golden gun lived on in the in the South China Sea. I do not expect wounds, only a clean kill. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the man with the golden gun, at I'm, all. I mean, I know the <laughs> the premise. <laughs> you're just talking yeah. to Will here at this all point. Right. So if you're not, if you're, not, I was say, it, I was say it. If you're I not familiar with the, with the thing, so he's like a million dollar shot. So you you if you hire him, you're guaranteed the person is going to die, but you have to pay him a million dollars. Uh And this is the 70s, so that's a lot of money. (laughs) He has a fun house on an island, basically in China Seas, so no one's going to touch him or anything else. And Nicknack's the one that runs it. So it's him, and then he has people come to him and try to kill him so that he gets practice or whatever. (laughs) Okay. And they go into this funhouse, and then you see like Nick Nack go into this room, and he can see it. there's like you know twenty different monitors and stuff, and he can see the people, and he's like running all these things, and there's there's like you know a hall of mirrors, and like you know it's just like it's basically like a funhouse for assassins. Uh huh. So we like him because of his funhouse
0: of murder. Yeah. And so and so then, then you've got J- J- Jaws and and odd... he's
1: he's he's famous. He's from uh the plane. Oh, the plane. That... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Paradise Island.
2: Paradise Island. Yes. Like somebody had to say it at some point.
1: odd job. Oddjob's great. He could uh, murder you with his hat mm-hmm. and uh, take, off, take off your head. He was relentless, died of electrocution by James Bond in Fort Knox, which is... Now that I'm saying it out loud, it's really weird. But
2: (laughs) (laughs) as many of us do, a lot of of us go that way.
1: The best part about about the whole thing is he like he he's like showing James Bond his prowess or whatever, and he's he throws his hat and cuts off like a marble statue's head with it, and you're like as a as a younger kid you're like oh that's crazy you're like he can cut a he can cut a marble statue with his
2: hat with a hat i should get a hat and wear it to school but then i would look awesome
1: but as will was saying is also he was awesome in goldeneye because he was shorter than everybody and you would try and shoot him and he would be shorter so you'd have to point the gun down by the time that he was karate chopping you to death. Yes. There was
0: definitely a, we would do we would play slappers only and we yeah. would do one hit kills. Yeah. And so everybody wanted to be odd job because yeah. you'd slide on your knees chopping through the whole facility. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: Yes, because like he was shorter than so everybody and play. you had to look down and you didn't want to look down because there were so many other people yes. and you would get killed instantly by somebody else, but then you had to look down because odd job was there. Yes. It was the it was the best and worst game mechanics. Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> you're like you, like in that situation, you could always just pick odd Yeah, and Jaws is just lumbering through the whole
0: yes. thing. He's, he was easier. Was he, a, was he in that? I think he was. Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh yes, he was. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, I like I like him because he was sort
0: of comic booky, you know. So he had like the I mean, he looked like a comic book villain. So
1: that's that's why he's my number one. He was redeemed at the end of Moonraker because he saves people and he actually dies in space. That's also a good If way you watch to go. Yeah. yeah, so he he falls in love with this like cute blonde girl with ponytails, and you know they they like have a thing, and he goes up and he brings her up to space with him because they're creating this utopia in space, and then they have a huge space battle. You'd probably like Moonraker. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that in forever. Yeah, that's I don't remember any of that. Yeah, that sounds like they're, 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 Moonraker was bonkers if you think about it because they were like in egypt and then they were chasing each other and then oh God, like crazy. there's a guy and then they go up to the space and there's like a hidden space station that if, the guy's trying pirates, to create a utopia we'll... yeah
2: <laughs> are there pirates then it would be everything
1: and then he gets trampled on by a bunch of bricks and all that stuff and he gets out and he's fine <laughs> good henchman material yeah yeah he, he he would take care
0: of the job yeah in his demo reel, like he's like, are you getting apart part with the bricks? They're gonna like that. They're gonna want to hire me. Well, here's to us.
1: Yeah, so that's my pick for my henchmen. But I, I thought it was always funny. There's uh, *Live and Let Die*. They had like coordinating outfits, you know, like even uh, like a lot of James Bond ones. It, you know, like a lot of the no-named henchmen that they were running, like the space station or whatever they're all wearing the same outfits and like it's a jumpsuit and like you're like hey, this is this is right you're that, a henchman that does look good for your criminal yeah. organization you do yeah. do like matching outfits I like yeah. That. yeah.
2: I couldn't remember when we had a band I couldn't even get y'all to dress like similar
0: <laughs> you know what I mean
2: back in the oddies
0: well there was one time I had that shirt that shrunk and we gave it to our drummer who was a lot smaller than me so he that was a win it, that well. was
2: a win all around
0: yeah <laughs> number five what you doing to us man just relax what do you need them
2: animals for and he turned them into mutants just like he did to us
0: my favorite type of henchmen are what old people think of when they imagine new york which which makes sense because these are proud new yorkers I'm talking about Rocksteady and Bebop from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
2: <laughs> yes, our tribute to the '80s continues <laughs> on baby.
0: I felt pretty, as they say, basic picking these guys, but it's really a no. crime not to. I mean, they are they are henchman royalty. Yeah, yeah they're, uh, th-
2: that's the down to with, a T. That's a henchman. I don't
0: usually pick. The, the most expected ones, but I had to for these. And I, I, I imagine this is what most people think of when they hear henchmen. And it might've been a while since you've actually thought seriously about them. So I'm going to do it for us because it's hilarious and they're accidentally pretty cool. I don't know how much you remember, but they're street punks who were mutated by Shredder into uh, some animal hybrids. Bebop is a warthog and Rocksteady is a rhinoceros. They first appeared in the comic books and then in several TV shows and remain relatively unchanged. But I'm talking mostly about the 90s cartoon run. Why do I imagine that in the 90s we saw a lot of henchmen like high-fiving each other as they stepped into test tubes? to <laughs> be trans- Can you imagine that? You know what I'm saying? Is that just me? Or can, I, can you imagine that in your head? I feel like we yeah. saw that in so many places. I feel
2: like Evil Bill and Evil Ted may have even done that. Yeah. They, they definitely played air guitar at each other
0: okay yeah, that's very
2: similar to a high five
0: I, re- I i specifically remember an issue of spider-man where there were two uh like futuristic tufts who did that where they got in their underpants and climbed into uh test tubes and high-fived each other like we're about to get powerful and uh i don't know why that was a thing but it was
2: <laughs> man i think you just remember like people getting in tubes i guess so
0: i wish i'd brought some comics these are our traditional muscle henchmen. <laughs> yeah. And they don't really have any ambition beyond what punk's like, which is having a good time, smashing stuff, and just being wild. That's why they want to do it.
2: Did they ever carry a boombox around? <sighs> it seems like they should have. I don't know. Especially with the name like Rocksteady and Bebop. You would think that there would be some dancing in there.
0: Yeah. I, You know, I, I knew the, the name Bebop would have come from like the – the musical genre, but until I was looking this up, I didn't realize that Rocksteady was like an early form of reggae. So they, they definitely were, were, were thinking that way. How do these guys clock on the girl radar? Uh, because they, I think they just light up boy brains when you see them.
2: remember them like I remember there's some big muscles that you can fight in a video game or whatever but like I don't really you know what I mean like I don't really (laughs) remember them
0: I know I know uh, Scott loves bebop he does have a great look like I was saying he is what old people think you'll see in New York they look like how in the 80s we used to draw all uh, futuristic punks he has purple future glasses.
2: Also, don't you love that everybody just assumed the future would be full of punks? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the aesthetic we're all going to go with. Like, they're, they're just going
0: to be pouring out of the alleys.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's punks from here on out. Just
0: tattered sleeves everywhere. Like,
2: every, like, we all voted. We decided mohawks were going to be the look of the future. Yes.
0: He has, like, those, you either have, like, the perfectly round glasses or the really uh, wide, like, lopsided glasses. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what Bebop had. The blocky mohawk earrings, a necklace of bird bones, um, a vest with grenades that don't do anything. He had a bare chest with a bandolier and pants with a belt, and no button, and some turtle shell shoulder pads, which is a lot going a on there. That's a good look.
2: That's a good look.
0: Okay, so here's Rocksteady, if you don't remember. An army green hat and goggles perched on his forehead. A tank top that rides up on his belly, a shotgun he doesn't use, and a bandolier full of insane-sized caliber bullets that he also doesn't use. And they all and they talk like also like generic New York punks. They would be like, We got a score to settle with you toipes. And so we we really enjoy them for that reason, too. Oh, with great pleasure, Master Shredder. There was a great uh, episode of the 90s Turtles where you got to see their transformation and got to see what they looked like as humans. And I think uh, Rocksteady was like a beefy, potato-headed guy with a little pat of blonde hair. And then Bebop was like a futuristic guy with a purple mohawk. And he had these uh this really high vampire collar on his vest. He was pretty cool looking.
2: Vampire collars need to come in yeah, style. Yeah, I think
0: so. I think so. So, so yeah, th- these guys, th- these are in the Hollywood halls of henchmen, I think. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Agree. Number four. I await the word of Vigo.
1: I, Vigo, the scourge of Carpathia. And,
2: oh, you've told me this. The scourge. The sorrow of Moldavia. Sorrows, I've heard all of this. Yes, Command you. you. Command me, Lord. We are not done talking about the 80s. <laughs> Because coming in at number four, the
0: henchmen are all over the 80s. It was a good, good. That was a good job in the eighties. It if, was. If you were on looking on job boards, we needed a lot of henchmen. It was really in style.
2: Well, this is right on the cusp, but like I said, it still counts. Uh, we have Janos Poha. Oh, Ghostbusters Two. Love
0: him, love him.
2: Acolyte of Vigo the Carpathian.
0: Yes, yes, we've heard this before.
2: <laughs> so I wanted to pick him because he is a henchman in the tradition of, like, the acolyte kind of uh-huh. henchmen, like Renfield in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, uh-huh. there is at least a literary thing we can point to and say, yeah, that's... Like,
0: like worshipful devotion. Yeah,
2: worshipful devotion, maybe supernaturally aided, mm-hmm. you know, um, where their loyalty is, you know, they're maybe under the thrall of someone, uh-huh. as Janos was, but then also maybe not <laughs> you know yeah. it's kind of a combination or whatever what can we say about ghostbusters like well, we all know about ghostbusters but this is a I, and personally yeah.
0: i like this i if we're talking about which one i like to watch more it's the second one oh yeah i think that one uh is a much tighter script i understand why the first one is such a great movie maybe even cr- technically a better movie but for Pound for pound, my enjoyment—I I get more out of Ghostbusters too, in no small part because of Janos, who's hilarious. Oh
2: yeah, and um, he's. Yeah, he's absolutely a gem, and I I think steals the show comedically from Bill Murray. They always try to give Peter Venkman the best funny yeah. lines, but I just I Janos is just way funnier in my opinion. Because well, he's because he's,
0: because he played because like all great like he plays it straight. Like when yes. like when Bill's taking uh, all the uh, pictures of the Vigo painting, he is so upset. It's like move
2: away from the painting,
0: and uh, he and he tells Vigo. Vigo goes, there's a throne of skulls." He's like, yes, yes, we heard this.
2: We heard this. Yeah. I do love that there's a little bit of detachment, even in. Like, he still has his own motivations, which are to creep on Dana, obviously, who's working for him at the the museum in restoration. But I, I think this was, like, such a fun thing for my little child's mind. Because, first of all, it did show, like, Ooh, what if you were a glamorous adult living in New York City and you got to be picking from between whether you're going to go back to the symphony or working on art <laughs> restoration? Right. And it was a lie, a dirty lie, but that was like one of the films that I was like, maybe I can be a lady having it all in the city. Yeah. And then have my baby stolen from me briefly, you know, to be the vessel for an unholy painting <laughs> apparition. Didn't happen yet. Well, I'll give you a rain check. Again, he he's the real scene stealer in in Ghostbusters. I mean, he too.
0: It, I mean he uh, did everything Vigo asked, including like dressing like a nanny and uh, capturing Dana's oh, child. Oh, for you him. were talking
2: about that specific one. <laughs> yeah, God, I forgot about God. I forgot about that. I was going to say, his regular street clothes were a great look, too, because he did, it was like the turtleneck with a blazer over it, which is like very, very late 80s, early 90s. Like, that's how you show that you're a man of refinement, but also a serious (laughs) businessman. If everything you're doing is bad, I want you to know this. You will be careful there, all right? No one listens to me.
1: Number three. You see? Even
2: without magic, I'm not totally helpless. I never said you were. Actually, you're pretty resourceful. Why do you waste your time fighting for Skeletor? I have no loyalty to Skeletor. It's his power I want. Someday, I'll seize it from him, and then all Eternia will feel my might.
0: You know, not all villains start at the top. Some of them have a career path. On my list, I really wanted somebody like we were talking about earlier somebody at the top of their henchman game and bristling in their role because they're ready for the big time and they're ready to step out of the henchman role into something bigger and i'm picking evil lynn from masters of the universe i'm
2: glad you picked her what (laughs) <laughs> but I would say that I would almost say like she almost doesn't count as a henchman because she does not see herself as one. Well and that's what we love about her. I
0: think she's I think she's at the top of her game and needs to move on in her career. I think she's technically her job description, her job title is henchman, but she needs to move on. She yeah, needs to Yeah, they're not find gonna give job. her
2: any more promotions in Snake Mountain.
0: Her situation's a little different from like an acolyte. Like she doesn't she doesn't have a planned career path like Darth Maul, you know, where you're the henchman and you're supposed to grow and then you'll eventually uh get into your your new role her next yeah,
2: then you'll get grosser and grosser yeah 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 you, the grosser you get the more powerful exactly
0: you <laughs> um her next step in her career would be to break off on her own or to overthrow her boss Skeletor so br- briefly let's talk a little bit about her background if you've listened to our other show you're <laughs> you're well aware of who she is but she's she's uh Skeletor's lieutenant she's she's his top lieutenant She's a powerful sorceress in her own right. She serves Skeletor for now, but she's low key exploring ways to take his power. And the only only thing holding her back is her uh, own is her impulsiveness, her
2: own recklessness. Yes, yeah. she's yeah. a yeller. She is. A, yes. Then I'll have all the power. <laughs> <laughs> Skeletor.
0: I was trying to think about how she got into this situation. Uh, so she were they
2: dating? Yeah.
0: So she's in a relationship. So they may have started out. It's more not on a good relationship.
2: Footing. I'm just saying. Well, it
0: seemed like in the first episode they were holding hands at the top of Snake Mountain. Aww. But then, then not so much. Uh, I guess it's because I guess they got off of equal footing because Skeletor slowly accumulated all the important magical assets, like another power sword and Snake Mountain and stuff. And uh, depending on whether you're looking at the comic or the cartoon, but she's not happy with that. So there's a lot of great drama there. And I think a real lesson in hiring henchmen, but also uh, about modern career development, I think it's really important (laughs) to keep jobs. I think it's really important to keep tabs on your employees' job satisfaction because it's a thing now that there is no linear movement for jobs there is no career development there is no career planning the only way to do better in your career now is to get a different job that's with a higher job title uh
2: somewhere else yeah
0: or your boss to go away and you maybe get their job but they're going to be there till they retire oh yeah and that's exactly the situation she's in and i think that's something that you need to think about if you're going to hire henchmen you need a formal career development program like the Sith in yeah, Star Wars. You need to
2: have regular meetings where you set goals and expectations. And uh, you know, what, what what can you be in charge of dominating evil in?
0: Exactly. You need, your henchmen need their own opportunities, and you need to uh, set up a path for a smooth transition of power, or you're going to be in trouble at some point.
2: <laughs> I, for one, would have loved to have seen a show... Or even an episode where Evil Lynn goes off to go be the main villain somewhere.
0: Yeah, I her, think so. In her
2: own land. Yeah.
0: And if you want to find a great uh, Evil Lynn episode, the the good one is The Witch and the Warrior. That is a good one. Master of the Universe. If you're going
2: to go dig back in our archives, that's a good one. The you Witch get and the to, Warrior. You get
0: to see more about Evil Lynn's motivations and what she thinks about uh, her situation.
2: She doesn't like it. <laughs> it's going to talk.
0: Number two, two. Excellent. <laughs> I might even go so far as to say exquisite. <laughs> well, what you got in mind, boss? This thing just looks like some old piece of paper to me. That's because you have no foresight, Benedict.
1: Well, not everybody's as smart as you are, Agus. Not anybody is as smart as I am, for Young. <laughs>
2: Please, don't talk so fast. Okay, we're finally leaving the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, I give you Benedict. Fu Young, and Miss Bacon, the secretary, who are the henchmen of Egghead in the 60s Batman series. Oh,
0: cool. Okay.
2: Egghead, of course, played with the plum by the incomparable Vincent Price.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
2: Can't say enough about him. Can't say how much I love him. We don't
0: get to see the Eggman that much uh, in the Batman series, but he was hilarious. Yeah,
2: he's in a few episodes. Yeah, he's, uh, I, I think, it was something like four, okay. or four or like four different places. You know, it's he wasn't like in there tons, but every him he was, of course, he was fantastic. He has this hideous suit um, <laughs> that is white with yellow piping, and it's got like a little round sort of cravat that looks like a little egg yolk on it. Made of satin. Uh Ridiculous. He's got an elongated head with a bald cap. And his shtick is that he's going to outsmart Batman... With ruses, uh-huh. you know, because so he's is an, an egghead. Yeah, because he's an egghead. Uh-huh. It's not, it's not like brawn. This is, this is brains. And in fact, the episode that I watched in preparation for the show, I feel like he's not even being a villain. He's mm-hmm. just being smart because he was trying to get the, uh, he found the original like charter deed for Gotham City, and uh, was trying to take advantage of a legal loophole to where he would get the Mohican Indians to. Give him the lease for God- Gotham City. I'm like, that's just paperwork, all yeah. right. That's not even villainry.
0: And in in the movie, they were dealing with the United Nations. There were some very civic-minded writers for the 60s <laughs> they're, Batman. They're
2: really, what were. was going on? But it's but it is delightful. So first of all, uh, his his henchmen have adorable names, which, as we have discussed, was true from the very first henchman ever mentioned in. Right. Printed history. His henchmen, of course, they have to be a step up from the normal goons that you would see okay. on the on the Batman show. So they're both very like dignified British men, and they have like tweed suits. Uh-huh. And of course, his secretary is like you know like a young a young foxy lady because you know nobody needs to look at Vincent Price's egghead that long uh-huh. <laughs> without being disturbed. But you know she's a character with them too and it's really funny too because in the fight scenes when you watch these on digital shows you can very easily see the moment when the stunt doubles step step (laughs) in because uh, Fu young and benedict one of them has a bald patch on the back of his head and like they tape one on the back of the stunt Uh guy like you can see just like a flat pack there's really not anything to say except for this is just quality villainry that i admire and it's Quality henchmen, because like you know, they're also just gassing him up all the time yeah. and tell him how smart he is. It's
0: part. Of, well, I think the point here is uh, the henchmen have to be part of your brand.
2: Yeah, you've
0: got to you got to support your image.
2: Yeah, you can't just have somebody. Are they a good
0: representative for you? Like, if if we run into your mini boss, are we going to get an idea of what kind of dude you are?
2: Yeah, and and even though his entire lair is decked out like the old original Prices Right game show <laughs> set with like some hideous secondary color schemes and lots of goldenrod and egg colors uh-huh. they still land an air of sophistication to the uh-huh. whole enterprise like we can't we we're doing egg puns a lot in this enterprise but remember i'm smart therefore i am fancy right
0: i was i one thing i remember reading about his egg egg character is that on the set in real life Vincent Price would have a carton of eggs and he would uh sort of jump around the set and toss them at people on the set just because he, he loved being there so much.
2: I mean, if you're already that committed, just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Great man. Greatly missed. What a talent. Love him.
0: No material can resist my incomparable
1: explosives.
0: Before we name our top henchmen, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable
2: Mentions. I'm going to try not to be here all day, but I just have a few. I was going to actually have Beast Man as my uh-huh. example henchman, and so he's in my honorable mentions for Masters of the Universe because I do think he was a classic henchman, and he experienced some growing pains, but mostly... He knew his role in the organization, and he felt bitter about it, but he still did it with diligence.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of pathos in imagining why he's in the situation he is. There's something like sweet and sad about his loyalty, and in other circumstances, uh, he might not have been a bad henchman in in fact you know that character i think originally conceived was might have been a good guy so you can kind of like imagine it was just bad circumstances that put him under skeletor
2: yeah what was the episode the really good one with him the paul dini episode please great skeletor give me one more chance the really good episode of uh, He-Man that deals with Beast Man It's one called "Prince Adam No More." So, if you're looking for Mo two episodes to catch up on, that's also a great one. Mm-hmm. So that's why Beast Man's on my list. Uh, then I'm going to just give a brief shout out to a couple of other '80s henchmen. We've got Non and Ursa from Superman. Yeah. Zod's oh, those are Zod's good henchmen. Ones. Those
0: are really good ones. I know.
2: I thought about making them, but then I'm like, you know, my whole you, the whole thing. But they're great. not yeah. and Ursa. Love them. Love their look. Love yeah. everything about them. Uh, and then finally, I give you Heather Duke, Heather McNamara, and Veronica Sawyer of Heathers. Uh-huh. Right? Because they were henchmen yeah. until plot happened.
0: Yeah, I thought about, what's that movie, Jawbreaker?
2: Oh, yeah. Have... All the, yeah. All the
0: mean girl stuff. Mean girl stuff. Those movies. are great. They all have henchmen.
2: I did want to pick a mean girl movie maybe, but I, I wound up not. But anyway, honorable mentions.
0: I have one that's similar to that one that makes me think about um, Chester and Spike from Looney Tunes. Chester is the little uh, terrier, the little yip yip dog that uh, dances around Spike all the time. Like, We're gonna get him. We're gonna find the cat Spike. We're gonna get him this time. And oh, uh, yeah. he's sort of like he's the hype man for Spike. And so I think there's some overlap between like bullies often have henchmen.
2: Yes, they do. And
0: so and and there's a reason. That, that that's the case. They they need that approval, and they need to like have some of that authority and, and uh fear like conferred upon them. You know, yeah. and then maybe you know we'll we'll probably even talk about bullies later later. So I won't interrogate that too much. Yeah, but, but there's there's something there. I think I want to do a,
2: a whole episode on bullies later for sure.
0: I also want to talk about uh, Boomer from the television series Wentworth. Uh, this is an Australian show about a women's prison, and Boomer is the lovable but conflicted muscle. And she's really sweet, but she will beat the living crap out of you uh, in certain circumstances, and she's just a great character. I love her. Um, I was gonna, And then I have two more. I was going to say Mystique from X-Men. Yeah. Who uh, is a conflicted character, but definitely some muscle and some hired gun. And finally, Floatsum and Jetsum from The Little Mermaid. I think they are just so cool. I love their little gl- glints in their eyes. Very on brand for her. Uh, just super cool henchmen.
2: As we've discussed, very important. Yeah. So who's your number one henchman of all time?
0: Number
1: one. Just so I understand, if you don't die, you're saying the man's luck don't have to hold out. Now, that's the message you want me to take upstairs. You got to pin that on your chest. Be hypocrite enough to wear it
0: well when you're looking for good henchmen you want somebody loyal to do your dirty work but also somebody who can find a good can of peaches for your important meetings
1: mm-hmm.
0: this is Dan Doherty from the show Deadwood
2: yes
0: I think I think we'll both agree this is probably our top henchman
2: and when we discussed this, I was like, this is the rare thing where I knew who Will's number one pick was going to be. Because I had to say, like, Will, I think there's one that we might pick the same one on. Yeah. And by the rule of same whamesies equals number onesies, which I just made up. But it's a rule of this podcast. If we pick the same person and it's an overlap, they're probably a good contender for now. Yeah, I, one. Yeah,
0: I think so. And, but I, w-
2: I was absolutely going to pick Dan Doherty.
0: <laughs> and I will, t- and I, I, I'm definitely going to talk about Dan. But uh, just a word about Deadwood, the show that he was in. This is HBO's very critically acclaimed western drama that you don't even need to think about as a western. It's just a great drama with some of the best writing uh, ever on television.
2: Now, if you're a sensitive soul, it's a little grizzled. Yeah. All right. You may, you may not it may be too grizzled for your taste <laughs> but if you don't mind a little grizzledness yeah. then then it, you'll it'll be golden it's
0: rough around the edges but it's it's really good and especially good after the um they figured out that the villain was just too good that they softened him up a little bit um but here's here's the deal with Dan he and a guy named Johnny Burns are the bartenders for the gym saloon in town they're also enforcers for Al Sweringen, the h- hilarious, sometimes very problematic, uh, but also charismatic owner of the saloon. I think that's the easiest way to describe that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here's why Dan is the best. He's not just a hired goon. There's a deep, deep bond that ties him to Al, and so there's like a a real desperation on the border of tears, drama in everything he does, which uh, you
2: don't see. Immediately, it unfolds yeah. over. I, I can't even remember because we watched them all just like at once. Yeah. But it, it unfolds very slowly. It's a mm-hmm. very slow burn for you to realize how hot that loyalty burns. Yeah. And it's like very moving he in, almost it, has, in its way. He
0: almost has like a, a, a parent child kind of devotion to, to his mentor. Uh, the website Mental Floss had a quote from the actor W. Earl Brown on his thoughts about Dan. Uh, the actor said he thought of Dan as an animal walking upright until he met Al Swearingen, who gave him a home and a purpose. And
1: Aww. you feel
0: that relationship in all the enterprises they, they get into. I'm thinking about one scene in particular. I think everybody remembers like the the, the big fight he does on Al's behalf, but I'm actually thinking about this scene where Al Swearegen gets very ill for a reason you will see in the show, and he's sort of out of it, and the town doctor is there, and the doctor is like, I've got to do a surgery. I've never done it before, but I've seen it done. There's the high method where I cut him high and the low method where I cut him low. Al, you got to tell me which one you want, and Al is so out of it because he's uh, in shock or whatever. And Dan Doherty speaks for Al, even though Al couldn't talk. And he says, I believe he said he wanted the low method. Oh, and and Oh, so, my heart. And I so, can't
2: take it. I and, can't take and it. And so,
0: uh, so the doctor says, all right, that's what we're, what we're going to do. And I just thought it was such a beautiful scene.
2: Oh, it is. And
0: after you've seen his loyalty demonstrated with, like, crazy violence, it was, is here's the other side of that coin. This is where it comes from. And I thought it was so illustrative of his character.
2: Yeah, it's just so fiercely protective, like a wounded animal. Yeah. It's so oh, oh, sad. I can't. I can't stand it. Everybody watched Deadwood.
0: I think it was actually the high method. Maybe I shouldn't do the surgery. But anyway, uh, <laughs> they, they, yeah, Dan's a, a great character, a great great acting.
2: Yes, we can all be glad that we're not getting kidney stone surgery in frontier times. <laughs> yes, today, on this yes. You, day. Do
0: not, you do not want that. But if you do, you want a man like Dan Doherty to... To help you get through it.
2: That's right. To be your patient advocate. <laughs> well, well, that was a great list. I think so. <laughs>
0: I think so. This was a surprisingly interesting one to me. I think it was a, a challenging in a way I, I didn't think about.
2: Well, I'm just glad that I learned about mustard and garlic.
0: <laughs> the first
2: henchman. It's adorable.
0: I like I liked thinking about what makes somebody... A henchman and why they don't want to move beyond their role
2: yeah you can't you
0: can't be a good henchman if you're uh bristling in your role you've got to be devoted for some reason there's something like poignant about why you're there
2: yeah you're not gonna stay unless you've got your own good reasons. yeah
0: and, you, you're, you're, and you're going to borrow on the brand of your boss, and you're going to confer something th- onto your boss. It's a, real, it's a real sweet job while it's a good job, but you've got to be aware of when it's time to move on.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a real rich dynamic there.
0: <laughs>
2: I do feel enriched by learning this.
0: Well, if you have thoughts about henchmen or have job inquiries about hench work, you can email us mm-hmm. at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com. Or hit us up on social media, and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. And you can do this. We will talk about it if you send us something. This will be a good one to do it on. <laughs> and, uh, Rebecca, where can people follow us?
2: You can find us on Twitter or Instagram, or visit TheWizardsNightShirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows, like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series. Stay tuned for the 2020 Halloween special being written as we speak. As well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show, or join me on my weekly stream at twitchtv Garrity, where I do music production.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions.
2: The legends they tell of a hero. They sing No resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble and few But you have waited through tea